Hello and welcome to another episode of That 60s Recording Podcast, the podcast that has conversations inspired by the golden era of recording. Before we begin, I'd just like to remind you to go and check out Mojo Cables if you hadn't already. It's a new venture um, I have on the go with my good friend Matty, who is an electrical engineer and guitarist. And we have been making um, beautiful bespoke, not bespoke, but boutique. We, I guess we could do bespoke, <laughs> but they're boutique instrument cables. Um, and uh, yes, they're made of the highest quality Van Damme cable we could find. Um, they feel beautiful and they're available in four colors at the moment. Um, and we use the, as a, as a studio owner, I was very particular about the, the types of connectors I wanted to use. Um, so I was very happy that we, we found these lovely sort of slim black um, connectors that tuck in really nicely. There's nothing I hate more than those big sort of chunky connectors. I'm just not into them at all. Um, so each cable is hand soldered, uh, vacuum uh, silicon sealed, and uh, with a vacuum shield around it. So they are not going anywhere. And everyone comes with a lifetime guarantee because we are so confident that um, they're just going to last because they're very, they're just robust and sturdy and beautiful cables. We're very, very proud of them, as you can tell. So go and check them out at mojocables.com. Okay, on to the episode. It's the second half of my conversation with Alex Bennett of Sound Recordings uh, in Melbourne, Australia. Uh, yep, and if you haven't already, get your notebook out <laughs> because there's some great advice coming up in this second half too. Um, and we begin by discussing uh, guitar and bass recording processes, which is something I've uh, kind of <laughs> neglected to, to talk about before because I'm so obsessed with drums. Um, but yeah, I thought this would be, be a good place, uh, a good thing to speak about. So here we go. Alex Bennett of Sound Recordings. Do you have any specific starting points for... I'm always conscious that I, I jump straight to drums because that's what I love. But yeah. it's, um, I'm sure there's lots of people listening to this who would be interested to know about your approach to, say, guitar amp recording or, mm. um, you know, do you, uh, are you recording bass amps or do you like to DI in? Um, mm. What's kind of, what's your approach to, to the other instruments that are not drums? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's different every time. Generally, I will have to start with figuring out how much of it they want to do live. And I do like to suggest they do as much as they can live because that'll give you a better more rock and vibey bed right you know yeah if you can do the whole rhythm section at once do it is generally what i say and i and i gen and then i say you know do you practice together yes well then let's do it all together because why would you get into a recording studio and then suddenly do it completely differently <laughs> yeah that's always baffled me from when i from when i first started recording at the university you know, as a student, that, like, as soon as a band came into the studio, they did everything one by one. And I just could not get my head around that because <laughs> I played in bands and I was like, that sounds boring and it sounds hard and you're going to use a click track? Jesus. So first and foremost, the decision as to how we record the bass and the guitars will be like, well, what are we doing all at once and how slick do you want this record to sound? Is this a 90s record? in which case let's separate everything. So I have on the property 
a few adjoining rooms okay. to the main live space, which is the stone building that we were talking about. Um, so there's a, a little cottage right next door to the studio, which the band stay in. Here's a little plug mm-hmm. for you know anyone in Melbourne <laughs> who wants to record here. You can stay on the property. Um, so you can come for a week and make a record. How's that for a whole day? <laughs> um, but, yeah, so I have tie lines, and by tie lines I mean holes in the wall, <laughs> that, I, <laughs> that I can plug amplifier cabinets into the next room. So we can have amps in the live room with the players, but their speakers can be next door. So if your guitar amp needs to be cranking, then great. But if you want it to sound like a 90s heavy record, then you don't want that rubbish in your drum mics. So let's separate your loud guitar because I'm not going to tell you to turn it down either. If people want to play loud, then they can play loud. Um. And then if the bass needs to be an amplifier, again, we'll stick that next door in a different part of the room. But if the bass doesn't need to be an amplifier, if it's a nice instrument and you're going for a really slick 70s record sound anyway, just DI it, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, I've got a nice sounding DI. You can plug it straight into any of the preamps so if if we are going to di a bass generally we'll try that bass out in uh you know solid state preamp that's like a neve vibe or stick it into a tube preamp or plug it into one of the ampex channels or something that if you want it to be a motown style di then you can do a motown style di or if you want it to be a real clean big 70s di then stick it into that you know so you can still choose an awesome di sound yeah and and almost always you know unless there's distortion involved or fuzz or wild overdrive you, you don't need to use a bass amp um or you know both if you want if you if you want to go to town but um i generally wouldn't capture a di and a bass amp sound separately would be blending it on the fly probably yes yeah, yeah. you know track counts always a um an issue mm-hmm. um but but yeah so so that's how i would approach the guitars and the basses and i have another adjoining room which is in a separate building altogether which is in the house that i live in which is a big empty hall so i have an acoustic echo chamber on site wow and for rock and roll band projects that will for the tracking that will often have a guitar cab in it so you can have rhythm guitar if it's not too loud in the main live room or you can have rhythm guitar in the adjoining cottage and then you can have your lead guitar going up into the big echo chamber and i'll often put a mic close to the amp and then have one far back in the room so i can capture a close sound and a far sound um and all of that happening simultaneously with a drum kit in the live space on its own or maybe with a bit of rhythm guitar or there could be some guide vocals in there splashing around but that stuff generally doesn't matter because you'll be adding overdubs on top of that and making it sound great yeah later so yeah there there are lots of ways you can set up a tracking session here 
Um, or sometimes everyone just wants to be in the live room with their amps at just the right level. If they're okay with having their amps at just the right level in order to not completely destroy the drum sound, mm -hmm. then we do it like that. But that's generally people who want a 50s or a 60s rock and roll sound. Yeah. As yeah. soon as we start leading into um, 70s, 80s, 90s vibes or whatever, then we start separating and making it slick. I, I'm really enjoying the fact that you've referenced 80s and 90s stuff as well because I, I'm, I mean, I'm, I hadn't really thought up until this very conversation at how so the, where, where music's come from and how quickly it evolved through those eras and how specifically mm. you need to adjust things to get those sounds. And mm. I love that, that all of those options are there, you know, where, in, in the way that you're talking about. And you can, you know, you can pick and choose and blend those options as, as, you, as you wish. And yeah, it just occurred to me and as you were speaking then that we're, we're quite fortunate to have sort of 50 or 60 years worth of recording history behind us that we can cherry pick ideas from. Absolutely. Yeah, very cool. Yeah. And when I, um, when I started, I was obsessed with the 50s and 60s. But as I've grown older, <laughs> I've really started to appreciate um, everything else as well. You know, um, uh, with regards to tape recording anyway, like I really do love stuff from the 70s, like big time. And, and right now I think maybe mid to late 70s is could be my favorite in terms of technological feats <laughs> as in like um electronic design and tape recorder design was just wicked like the, the i love the mci machines now um they work really well they're easy for me to service um but yeah the clarity in uh the clarity of 1977 was um phenomenal I still love the, I still love the crust and the gnar of the, of the sixties. Uh, that said, there's been hi-fi in every era. You know what I mean? Like yeah. the capital recordings from, from the late fifties are supreme. Um, so I still love that, but yeah, I guess I never wanted to stay in one area. Like I didn't want to ever be typecast as oh, just the place to go to make sixties records. Yes. Yeah. Um, so sl slightly worried about the, the the name of your podcast. I <laughs> not want to talk about no, no, don't. recordings. We veer off all the time. Don't, don't yeah, worry about it. Yeah. But, but, but yeah, so I've, I've fallen in love with every era of tape recording, basically. And I don't dislike music from today. Um, my, my child, for example, loves, you know, R&B and hip hop. And so yeah. I listen to lots and lots of that. And it's obviously all made on computers. And, you know, I'm probably not going to start making those records, but, you know, there's stuff I love about them. Um, but there was a lot of great music from the 80s and the 90s as well. Yeah. And actually, you know, it was, they were all using tape recorders up until about 1998 or something. <laughs> yeah. It is baffling. And then the curve just gets exponential from there. Yeah, the, the last 20 years is not something I've really, I, I, I guess I grew up with it, so I haven't given it a much sort of, um, re, sort of a reflection, if you like. But yeah, mm. I can't imagine, I've spoken to engineers who began 
or were sort of um, beginning the meat of their career through the 90s and then having to move through, um, mm. you know, um, into into sort of the digital realm. And yeah, it's, it, thinking back on it, it is a crazy period of time that it all, mm. you know, I listen, we all listened to, to records from the 90s, the early 90s, and it, mm. it never occurred to me when I was younger that they were made on tape. Because when yeah. I, by the time yeah, I got right. around to go into studios yeah. myself, it was all done yeah. on computer. So I just yeah. assumed that's how it was, how it was, you know. Yeah, that's no, funny, isn't it? It's funny. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's um, it's a bit of a, a rabbit hole of thought. That I'm, I'm yeah. curious about um, sort of a uh, microphones and preamps and outboard gear and and sort of a. Uh, not sure where to start with it maybe um you know maybe your first acquisitions or some of the things that you particularly like or if you have a particular lot of signal path that you enjoy using mm, signal path make it as short as possible <laughs> <laughs> so my rule is you know as with everything like less is more and i'm just choose the right microphone um into the right preamp and then straight to the tape so in my world noise is always going to be an issue and mm -hmm. getting the signal to the tape machine straight away um, without too many circuits in the chain is preferable. Um, so, oh, yeah, microphone choice is always important for me to get that sound as good as it can straight away. You know, if the musician has got their instrument ready and it sounds the way they want it to sound i've then got to just replicate that on my end mm -hmm. um so yeah microphone choice is basically is it quiet is it loud <laughs> so <laughs> is it a condenser or is it dynamic how clear does it need to be is it too bright do i need to make it softer you know <clears throat> that'll that'll be the things that lead to my decision as to whether it's a dynamic mic or a ribbon or a condenser mm. <clears throat> or, or perhaps a combination of two, which I'm getting more into now as I get older. Yeah. Um, have a dynamic and a car, a dynamic and a ribbon or a, or a dynamic and a condenser blending them on the fly to make it more three-dimensional, mm -hmm. you know? So there's the, you know, there's the nineties influencing the <laughs> yeah. clarity of the 60s <laughs> um but what was the original question oh just just uh, opening up the conversation about mic choices and and um yeah. sort of you know outboard and and uh yeah you know, uh, things you like using yeah oh well look i i ch i always i'm always changing my mind as well like <laughs> <Yeah>. <clears throat> when i started when i when i first started doing the tape recordings um yeah, I guess around the 2000 and between 2010 and 2012, I, I, at that time I hated condensers. I, again, coming from university educational world where you would have engineering classes and people setting up mics on a drum kit, they just have like 30 microphones and they were all condensers. And it just would be a dog's breakfast of brightness yeah. on, on the other <laughs> side. And just like it all sounded the same and not good enough. And to uh, like, so I, at the time, then I was strictly using dynamics and ribbons oh, wow. <laughs> as a 
kind of self-imposed revolt against condensers. <laughs> but over the years, I have learnt to love the condenser, and now I've got loads of them. Nice. Um, I've got you know small capsule condensers, large capsule condensers, solid state valve, you know different kinds of each ones of those from different eras and now I love them and I love all types of microphones. So I think the key now is to blend them all to make the collage. Mm -hmm. um, and I try not to be too stuck in any ways, stuck in any one way. And I always tr like to try something new on every single session. Oh, interesting. It's not, that's not my theory. I've heard more than one people say that. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, that keeps me, um, experimenting with sounds and i'll always on every session put a microphone on something i hadn't put it on before I'm like oh okay maybe this one will be the wild card on the guitar this time mm -hmm. but it might be paired with one i've used before so yeah just in case <laughs> just to see or or sometimes i'll sometimes i'll open up the drawer and let the musicians see them all and they'll be drawn to one because it looks weird yeah they think it looks cool or they've seen that in a picture of like, you know, on, on the back of a record. <laughs> so sometimes I let the person choose their microphone, particularly if it's a vocal take. Sometimes okay. I'll put up two or three mics for a vocal take and I will let them sing and listen and vibe on the mics. Um, Sometimes I'll do a blind test on the vocal mics. If, we, if we're comparing two or three vocal mics, mm -hmm. I'll record all three and they'll come into the control room and, um, <clears throat> you know, have them muted or armed and listen to them on their own and I won't tell them which was which because sometimes they think they like the look of the RCA. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, the RCA 77 looks great, doesn't always sound right and, you know, they might not like the look of the 70s condenser <laughs> but it turns out they like the sound of that one best so i enjoy that. that yeah 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 it's um reminds me of the uh there's the thing that came up in uh now and eyes uh conversation where he's talking about it's all it's about your ears not the gear <laughs> and I'm, yeah it's exactly i love it exactly and that's i guess going back to that question you had before about what do people think about the space when they come in one of the first things most people notice is there's no screen. There's no screen in my studio at no. all because there is no computer. Yeah, that's interesting. In so you're I used to the screen being the focal point, aren't you? When yeah. you walk in. So when you look, there is no the, the focal point in my studio, there's a painting on the wall. <laughs> and um <clears throat> there's there are two speakers. Um and there's there's VU meters everywhere, but nobody really knows what they're telling them um, <laughs> I, I know what they're telling me yeah <laughs> you'd hope so yeah they're not much to look at for somebody who's uh, trying to figure out if it sounds right you know so yeah most people find that very liberating and i obviously find it very liberating because i mm -hmm. hate staring at the screen yeah. um particularly if you're trying to make decisions about how something sounds so i picked that up in university some point along the lines um one of my lecturers was telling me about um, Pythagoras, you know, Pythagoras used to yeah. teach, used to deliver lectures from behind a screen, like a black screen. Oh, no, I didn't know that. I mean, obviously I know with yeah. Pythagoras. So it's, yeah. it's an anecdote. I don't know if it's true, but I like to believe it, that yeah. Pythagoras would teach 
his students from behind a black screen so they would listen to him. Interesting. Listen to what was being said and not look at the person saying it. Mm -hmm. That's really cool. Um, I like that idea. And they believed that that was a more powerful tool for uh, interpreting information. Mm -hmm. And I, and I agree with that. If you take the image away from a musical, um, except you'll you'll hear more you'll listen in more um so i love that about analog recording is that you you're just listening the whole time mm -hmm. and you can hear exactly what's going on because you're not being um your interpretation of the music is not being convoluted by the waveforms that are all different colors and different <laughs> shapes and that doesn't look right but it's so funny when i see a waveform of the recordings from my studio i'm like oh wow is that how it looks huh. <laughs> funny you know i'm so not used to waveforms now yeah <clears throat> um i get very used to the way the vu meters behave but ultimately it doesn't matter what the waveform looks like no you know um that's it yeah it's so interesting my, yeah my mind's racing with with uh well, yeah, with all sorts, it's, it's great. I, I love that idea of um, we are so guilty, I mean, me especially, um, mm. of, you know, looking looking at your DAW and seeing a waveform and making a judgment mm. on, on the sound quality yeah. by, by how big it yeah. is. <laughs> and, yeah, by how big it is or how pointy it is or how fat it is. Yeah, exactly. Um, <clears throat> forget all of that because that is a 100% 21st century habit. Yes, you can. You can actually do it if you if you can control your surfaces or machines in a way that everything's armed and, and has a track uh, fader assigned to it. Turn your screen off. Mm. I tell people as well: if you want to do this at home, just to unplug your screen, have it so you can you you're just listening to your microphones. You can obviously need to have everything armed or whatever so you yeah. can control it, but. Um, you don't have to use your screen when you're when you're capturing the sounds. No, no. You don't no. have to if you can arm everything and record it without the screen and do it. I think that would be a really interesting challenge for a lot of people, me mm. included. I think mm. that'd be very cool. Yeah. And I think you'll you'll end up well, I certainly am just speaking from my own experience, you'll end up learning way more about <clears throat> what the mic is doing, where it's pointing you know, how you can change that then by changing the instrument or the way it's projecting in the room or the position of the mic or change the mic. Cause that's for me, that's where everything happens. Yes. That moment of that interface between the microphone and the source, you know, yeah, I think not right there. It's never going to be right. No. Um, yeah. um, most people's first reaction in, yeah, this is something we hear a lot from, especially the older, generation of engineers who you know i've spoken to for this podcast from who worked mm. through the 60s and 70s and our initial reaction perhaps now would be to reach for an eq you know like the standard eq on mm. the channel if something's not sounding yeah. right and yeah the the reality is that a small adjustment in mic placement is going to make that change for you <laughs> and you if, don't do the same thing without imparting any electronic noise or distortion on the signal no because i you know i learned that very early on that anything you insert into the chain even if it's an eq that's in bypass mode it might be 
it might be colouring the sound, which is fine if you're into that, but if you know it's colouring the sound and, and you're not using it, then just remove it. Mm-hmm. Um, colour it later if it's not right. That's Because, you know, in my world, we still will arrive at the mixing session, which might happen at the end of a week of recording, or people may return after a little while to mix something. And then we hear it again and go, oof, didn't get that right. <laughs> but that's when we'll EQ it. Yeah. You know, not not straight away. Um, because anything you're going to do is a distortion. Yes. And yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I think, in my opinion, my favourite records ever are the ones that weren't fucked with that much. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, I mean I that's a gross assumption. I can't. It would be case by case basis. But <laughs> <clears throat> a lot of the great ones really were just straight away simple, and that's why they were great. Yes. Um. um and the performance is good ultimately. Um, yeah, I mean that's the but yeah. The... But going back to the technology, one of the interesting things about my setup is the main mixing console that's at the center of it has gone through a few iterations in its life. It mm-hmm. was an early 70s English mixing console, but okay. it's been heavily modified at least three times in its life. And in its current state in my studio, it's really just a mixing desk. It's line in and line out, and it's got auxiliaries and bussing options, but it has no EQ. Okay. There's 14 channels on that desk with no EQ because all the EQs were taken out, racked and sold to someone. (laughs) And because I needed more output capabilities, um, all the spaces in the console that were EQ are now taken up by busing options. (laughs) I love that. Which is awesome because it stopped me and everybody else who comes in diving into the EQ. You'll often find that, when you are working with people who have been in a studio before and they come in to hear the first playback, they love to go, oh, oh, where's the EQ? And, like, start (laughs) messing with the sound, which is fine. not precious about it. But I've inadvertently removed that option from everybody, including (laughs) myself. Yeah, I love that. If you want to use an EQ, you have to patch it in. Yes, this is a conscious decision. It's a conscious decision and you have to take out the cable, you have to patch the EQ in and then move over to that EQ wherever it is in the room and twiddle with it. So by, by, by removing that capability, it 100% helps straight away. So it's microphone, preamp, tape channel, and then the return for the tape, you can't EQ it unless you want to. Yes, yeah. Fantastic. So, Yeah. And that was by accident. That was just because the console, <clears throat> when I got it, that's just how it was going to come. And I needed bussing options and the EQs weren't in it. Mm-hmm. I didn't want my, my, my tech to, to reinvent the EQs in it. Um, yeah. That said, there is an, uh, I have got another wing of um, a little sidecar mixer that does have EQ, but that's only sometimes patched in. Yes. And there are other preamps that have EQs on them and there's EQs in the room. So yeah. if yeah. something needs to be EQ'd, we can, we can EQ everything eventually. <laughs> yeah, We just have to, like, get it there first. Yeah, absolutely. I love it. I love that. Um, yeah. So I've got a few, few more questions before we wrap yeah. up. Um, 
So I guess I always ask um, people to, to, to suggest a piece of advice that would be useful. And I think in your case, it might be if, if people are listening to this and either recording at home or preparing to preparing to approach a session what would your I mean the whole conversation is essentially a giant piece of advice but if you could <laughs> if you could distill it into to a sentence or two what what would you say to people who are sort of starting on on a you know kind of a recording journey and and, and what might be useful for them to think about mm. well there has been a few tidbits already so i I dare say people might have picked up a few things. Yeah. Aside from less is more, which I've said more than once, um, have one of each microphone on hand at all times, mm-hmm. I think. Have, have dynamics, have condensers and have ribbons. They don't have to be expensive, but just like learning about those three types of mics is awesome. Also pick up patterns, haven't even gone there, but like, you know, when to use an omnidirectional microphone, when to use a figure eight microphone, and when to use a cardioid. All the all the music technology 101 things are really yeah. handy if you're gonna try and do things simply like like the way I do in my world. Because it's just the combination of all those elements that that make a great recording. Is yes. you know. Um, um yeah, and think about one thing I always try and do is capture capture the source, but also capture the ambience as well. It's it's if you've got the tracks to have a close sound and a fast sound, um, is something that I like to have on hand. Yeah, or at least have blended on the fly. You know, like sometimes people will wonder how recording sounds nice and why, why they're not getting a good sound because everything's up close you know if you've got a mic on up close on everything it just sounds one dimensional so to make things three dimensional have have space in there yes. so like having at least one element of ambience on every recording at some point or have that ambience there always but you can blend it in and out when you need it i, I like that advice a lot i think that's really useful because yeah. yeah. That's imparted in very old-fashioned recordings just because all the mics were in the one room mm-hmm. and they were live, so there's, there's space. Um, but then more modern recordings can have that, have the danger of being dry without definitely. space. Yeah, definitely. And use real space. It's the other thing. Like <laughs> um, a lot of studios these days will just have lots of different um, reverb effects in the computer um, and people don't consider using real spaces. So even if it's just using your live room again as an echo chamber is something I would always recommend. So I obviously have luxury of an actual hall yes, that yeah. is, you know, big and wooden and have bricks and, you know, it's separate. <laughs> so I pump sound into that and pump it back in. So almost all the recordings from my joint have stereo room ambience in it. Um, it doesn't have to be anything line. sort of a to you know quite as swanky as that i mean i've done i've done recordings where it, you know in uh, my old studio where there was um we had a little narrow corridor and i just bang, yeah. you know put a mic in yeah. the corridor and that, that yeah. was that and you know right. people listening at home you, you know there's the classic of stick it in the bathroom or 
Put it yeah. wherever there is ambience, <laughs> and it doesn't yeah, have to be. Wherever you've got like ambience, it. you can put sound into there and capture it and blend it in. Yes, to create dimension and space, space and time. Play with space and time. <laughs> <laughs> I think people will be pleasantly surprised as well about how, if they haven't uh, experimented with this, is how. Mm much better <laughs> real life space sounds as opposed to manufactured oh. space it's it's well, night and day i just say it sounds real because it is real <laughs> yeah well yeah you can go to town on on blending in an acoustic echo and it won't ever get to that point where it's that fake where it's like fake and you mm -hmm. can you tell your brain can tell when it's fake um i mean that said there's still the right reverb for each song based on texture and tempo and mm -hmm. like the the atmosphere you want to create so I, I do generally mix a combination of i've got a i've got a stereo spring reverb i've got a stereo plate reverb that i made and i've got the acoustic echo chamber so if you can't get a, the right reverb out of either one of those three or a combination of all three then then you don't need reverb on the song like <laughs> yeah um, but with delay components added to all of those, you can achieve almost any atmosphere. Mm -hmm. So I would recommend experimenting with those kind of elements too. Delaying reverb or reverberating delay. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, it's interesting. I, I think um I think again it would be another good challenge for people to to attempt that in, you know, in their own homes and um yeah, they're sort of uh, finding a space that they like and um finding some delay that they uh, you know perhaps not tape mm. delay if they're not using well, no nah, but you don't have to have tape delay like you know this the basic uh the basic delay plugins will do it mm. and when i say delay it just needs to be like um you know ranging from like 20 or 30 milliseconds through to you know 100 or, or more but Generally, those types of pre-delay times going into an echo chamber is all you need to separate it from the, the source and make it sound awesome. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, like back in the day, it was really just a fifty to eighty second millis, fifty to eighty millisecond delay created by another tape recorder that was in repro mode, and that signal would be fed to an echo chamber. Mm -hmm. So, creating a slapback into an echo chamber and feeding that in. And if you can recreate that with your hallway and a DigiDesign delay plugin, <laughs> go for it. Yeah. Give that a go instead of using a whole reverb digitally. <laughs> um, there was some air quotes there. That I'll, yeah, air quotes, uh, whole yeah. reverb. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I... I I've been enjoying, so as, as I sort of said to you before we started recording, I've been speaking to quite a few Australians um, recently and I've enjoyed finding a whole world of music that I hadn't, wasn't really aware of before. Um, mm. So if there was, do you, do you have a record that you're particularly proud of that you worked on that you think could sort of gives a good representation of the way that your space sounds? Oof. Maybe not like a, a, the way the space sounds, the way the process sounds, if you like. Yeah, well... Again, there would be more than one genre mm -hmm. happening. Um, that said, one record I do, real one record I am very fond of that I think is a great, oh, it's just a great package. It's a great record. It's a band called Gonzo mm -hmm. and, the, and the record is called 
do it better again. Okay. Um, and that was a an eight track recording, um, but a really good example of what you can do on an eight track recording. Okay. For me, it's very it's very high fi. I think it's very slick. Um, and the the brief for that one was uh, like a post punk sound in the realm of um, the Gang of Four. Okay. Was the brief Gang of Four's first record? Yeah, yeah. And 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 I reckon I reckon we nailed it. Nice. I keep coming back to that record, and and I'm always pleasantly surprised about what we created. Um, so and and that's on a really great um, label called Antifade Records. Yes, that that some some dear friends of mine are, in, are involved with. Okay, and um, they're doing great things. Check out Antifade Records and check out Gonzo. Excellent. <laughs> but that's only one. You know, I love punk rock, so that's what I go to at mm-hmm. the moment in my mind. But there's been so many other great records. I shouldn't be made to choose. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I pushed you. <laughs> no, that's right. That's all right. Um, but you spoke to Liam, so I guess you've heard the 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 Teskey Brothers live at the Forum album. Yes. Yeah. We spoke about the. Uh, right. <laughs> yeah, we spoke a lot about uh, about how it, live albums don't are not. Uh, there's not enough of them these days, and uh, yeah, <laughs> not enough of them these days. Well, they might be a thing of the past very soon. Well, yeah. <laughs> no more gigs. <laughs> no. Well, fortunately, we've been back going a, a little while here. Um, really? Wow. Yeah. yeah. Um, whether that's a good thing or I mean, it's a good thing for, for sort of earning money, I guess, but not necessarily for people's lives. Anyway, there's a whole other discussion. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I don't know where I stand on it. It's, a, it's an interesting one. Um, yeah. back, to, back to music before I go p- yeah, 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 political. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so the last question I, I guess is what's um what's kind of next what what's you know uh, what's the projects or you know uh, <clears throat> you what what's kind of the next things that's coming for you um whether that's artists you're working with or plans for the space or mm. you know what's uh, mm. what's next on your agenda ah uh, well in terms of artists I'm working with next I've got a long list of reschedules so <laughs> who knows when I'm actually going to have a band in the studio again um oh, I've been working with a lot of really great local acts though so that's one thing that this the current lockdowns have have done is is in some sense increase the amount of activity with regional local acts mm-hmm. um there's a great band called K5 who I've okay. worked with a couple of times. So listeners should check out K5. Yeah. If you're into um strong um strong female 90s inspired rock and roll, they're awesome. <laughs> they're an awesome punk band. Um there's another great band called Good Moon that I've that we're I've just done a project with. And that's almost finished. Okay. So lots of exciting things happening with with local local people uh in terms of technology i have another build on the go with my technician who is is um for those who are interested you should check out Ecadec electronics and sound who are based out of um in auckland 
mm-hmm. not Auckland, sorry, in New Zealand. Um, so Greg from Ekadec is currently designing a, a 10-channel sidecar to be installed into the main rig so that I can deal with the 16 channel mixes a lot better. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> so I'll now have um, 20 channels on my console that will be matched. And and that, that actually will have 10 channels of EQ in line oh, cool. there. So what I said about the EQ before, is people <laughs> might be able to dive in now. Yeah. <laughs> and EQ, what they're hearing on the spot. But that's been a mod that's been a long time coming. Yes. Obviously, for monetary reasons, but also, you know, I had to be there. I had to be ready. Now that I've got the 16 track recorder running, the mix downs need to be a little more streamlined. Mm-hmm. So there'll be more uh, mixing power installed soon. Um, I would love I would love to increase the amount of channels that I've got tying the, the large echo space to the main control room so i'd love to upgrade that to 16 channels going back to the control room in case i wanted to put a uh, string section in the echo chamber mm, wow. that'd be cool that'd be extremely if, cool if we're allowed to have 20 or 30 players in a room ever again <laughs> um we could have the possibility of doing some pretty luscious um overdub sessions in the echo chamber more of a big band room. That'd be cool to get That'd more of that, um, the uh, Wrecking Crew vibe. Yeah, absolutely. That'd you know, be very maybe cool. recreate a David Axelrod feel. <laughs> um, that said, who's got the time or the money to um, employ an orchestra these days? Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But aside very from cool. that, there's, there's no plans at the moment to get a 24-track tape recorder. That's got to be the next on the list at some stage. I th- oh, I, look, I did once I said I would never get a 16 track and here I am with a 16 track <laughs> machine. Um, but I don't want to lose the headroom. You know, I'm happy with the, 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 the resolution of 16 tracks over two inch is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't want to increase the noise floor and reduce the headroom of having 24 tracks over two inch. So I don't think I'm going to go there. Plus, I need more. Then I need more channels, and I, I don't need more channels. <laughs> well, sixteen is too many already. Yes. Well, yeah, yeah. I, I can, I can see that. Um, yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Thanks so much for taking the time to speak with me, and uh, I hope that I, th- I mean, I think people will have loved listening to this. So yeah, thank you. I hope so. Thanks, Joe. Okay, so there we have it, the final part of my conversation with Alex Bennett. Um, do go and check out his Instagram, which is at Sound Recordings, um, and give him a message if you're interested. I mean, if you're listening to this in Melbourne and you're interested in working with Alex, definitely give him a message. Um, and then if you're not in Australia, then just go and have a look at the, the studio. It's a, such an inspiring place. And, um, you know, we all love a bit of a a bit of escapism and it just is interesting to see other people's studios but yeah go and check out some of the pictures and there's tons of good pictures of um mic placements and all sorts of stuff on there um and i would recommend just sort of scrolling through and and having a look it's definitely one of sounds like a bit of an odd thing to say about instagram but it's it's one of the nicer (laughs) nicer accounts that i've enjoyed scrolling through and learning from 
Um, so do go and do that. And also go and check out some of the bands that Alex just recommended. Um, I have them all up here. Uh, we've just finished the conversation, actually, and I, I have them all here ready to dive in. So I'm going to check them out on uh, while I'm doing my daddy daycare. It's a, it's a Tuesday night. In fact, it's, it's just clocked onto Wednesday because Alex is in Australia, so I had to speak to him very late. It's also why my voice probably sounds quite tired. Anyway, I'm rambling, so I'm going to move on. Um, if you'd like to get in touch with me, you can do that. My email address is joe at allyouneedersdrums.com. Uh, you could also support this podcast by buying a lovely enamel mug, which you can purchase from my website, allyouneedersdrums.com. Uh, and that just leaves me to say a huge thank you to Rory Hancock for editing and uploading this podcast, to Joe Kane for the intro and outro music, and to David Henshaw for the artwork he supplies. You guys have a fantastic week, and we will be back next Tuesday. Okay, goodbye!